Let's open our, our Bibles to the first epistle of Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 2. And, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to have you open your Bibles to 1 Peter, put your finger there, and then turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter number 11. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and then if you would, place your finger there, particularly verse 24. And then if you could, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and I'll begin reading in verse number 23. I'm praying the Lord will grant me liberty tonight as we... Approach the cross. It is so easy to come into a communion service as we desire to do on Tuesday night and to do so without giving the reverence, the consideration, the reflection, the preparation of heart as we should. Those twelve disciples that were invited up to that upper room had little idea what they were about to be told. And I wonder whether or not they truly grasped the significance of what the Lord was saying when He told them that this is my body which is broken for you and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. But we know exactly what it represents. And I pray that we approach it with great reverence Great sincerity. And I just want to invite you into that upper room tonight. And there's something that I, that I pray the Lord grants me the liberty just to display. Let's stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. In two more nights, we'll open our Bibles to this same verse as we prepare to receive communion. But in preparation for that, let us reflect on its reality. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye Eat this bread and drink this cup. You do show the Lord's death till He come. I've always been held captive by the very first thing that the Lord does, or the very last thing that the Lord does before He tells them to take and eat. Look with me very closely in verse number 24. And when He had given thanks... 
The disciples were clueless, no doubt, as to what they were doing in this upper room, observing the Passover, yes, but a new covenant in my blood, a a body that is broken, I can only imagine them looking with uh, bewildered amazement. What meaneth these things? They must have been wondering, but not having the courage to ask. But yet we know why they were there and we, with retrospect, look back over the centuries and look through the window of that upper room and see the disciples that their faces, they just don't get it. They don't grasp it. They don't understand it. They haven't seen it. It hasn't been preached to them. They've gotten little snippets and clips here and there about the ministry of Christ. And yes, Peter has declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But did they discern the cross? No, they didn't. They were still asking, Hey, who's going to sit on your right hand when you're in, in the kingdom? They didn't understand that the Son of Man must suffer many things. What other explanation could we give than, than this for, for Peter's absolute dismissal when he follows Jesus going from one trial to the other but yet trying to disassociate himself with his Lord? Why? Because he didn't understand it. But we who are standing here do. And with our understanding of what the Lord is communicating to them that his body must be broken... And that his blood must pour from every vein. Before he did any of that, he had given thanks. Given thanks because there was a gratitude for the union that was about to take place between God and man by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But a sacrifice nonetheless that must take place in His body. You have your finger holding now 1 Peter chapter number 2 and I read verse number 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Father I pray that you would help me tonight. Lord, I'm asking that you would empty of myself and fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, that you would allow our minds to have the capacity to imagine and see a glimpse of your suffering as well as your body, your face, your hands, your feet. And Father, I pray that you would help us in this. Lord, that we would remember, that we would remember your sacrifice, so that we would then give thanks. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There seems to be great doctrinal confusion and has been for for centuries about the purpose of that Last Supper. 
Some denominations, they teach rather dogmatically that in order to receive the grace of God, you must participate in what they call a sacrament, the sacrament of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, so to speak. And that by some mystical means, the the bread becomes the physical body of the Lord and that fruit of the vine becomes the physical blood of the Lord. And as you consume His actual body and as you consume and drink of His actual blood, that He is being crucified anew and afresh that they might receive grace. But this is not what the Bible teaches. For He was offered once for all our sins. He died once, he was crucified once, and we would be blasphemous to come into this sanctuary in two nights and crucify him all over again and think that this act, this physical work, will somehow earn us a merit in heaven. Well, some have said, well, it is not his physical body and his physical blood, but instead it is a, an element that his physical body and blood are somehow with and accompany and are close and near. And by taking them, we, we enter into a nearness to the Lord. And although I understand and I, in some ways, admire their efforts to come near unto the Lord, that's not what the Lord says the reason. For in, in Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11... <laughs> The Bible so clearly states with those words highlighted in red, this do in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Because I ask you, why? Why do we remember him? For in this, the Bible says in Corinthians, that you do show the Lord's death till he come. In other words, there is some doctrinal clarity that, that is supplied as we observe the, the Lord's Supper and we take of the bread and we, we drink of the fruit of the vine because we can see that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. And through his body and through his blood, though not through this service, through that we remember the sacrifice. We remember what it took To make dead men live again. We grab hold of that reality and we look towards Calvary. And there's doctrinal clarity that that is provided there. For it's not of works of righteousness which we have done. No, but when we receive Him by grace through faith, we are robed in His righteousness because His body was broken and His blood was shed. But there is another reason that we remember. There's another reason why we remember. The other reason that we remember is so that we might respond with praise, with worship. And if I could combine those matters of praising God and worshiping Him into one central theme, it is gratitude. It is standing in amazement of who God is. That is what worship is. It's realizing that He is high and holy and almighty and infinite and eternal and we are finite, sinful and stained by sin. And when we come into proximity to Him and we are allowed to do so by His grace, we bow before Him and that bowing is called worship and we render ourselves at His feet for His purpose and for His glory and that's called worship. And is there not an element of gratitude in all of that? Oh, how thankful we must be to be able to come into His presence even if but to bow down and kiss His feet. Oh, and praise 
praise. To praise Him does not mean to have four ladies with microphones and a drum set and some guitars and some smoke and some, some strobe lights and to lift our hands and sway a little bit. No, praise, praise is almost a, a, the, most, is the most pure expression of thankfulness and gratitude. It is an uplifting of hands for He is wonderful and gracious and merciful and that He is the one who stood between hell and my and paid my price that I might not just be delivered from hell but accepted in the beloved that I have heavenly places in Christ Jesus not later but right now oh and I lift my hands and I praise what is that praise I'm sorry I'm getting awfully loud it's thanksgiving it's gratitude it is the amazement of God's goodness almost like a, a great trove of wealth that we've been given the bank account to that we can, 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 can experience the riches of his love oh without guilt or shame or embarrassment or a past but instead an eternal identity in Christ Oh my. And I'd like to preach this evening on a remembrance of gratitude. As we remember the body which was broken, as we remember the blood that, and I, I say this sometimes, and I won't get on to you for saying it, but the blood that was not spilt. To be spilt gives the idea that you were walking through the kitchen and bumped the counter and, and out of your glass flowed the liquid from it and now there's this mess that must be cleaned up. No, he wasn't making a mess. He was the one cleansing the mess. He did not spill one drop, but he shed every ounce of it. Oh, and as we remember the cross, may it be a remembrance of gratitude. There's just a few things I want to point out from our passage here in 1 Peter and then, and then I'll be done and I'll leave you to wrestle with the reality of it for the rest of the night. A remembrance of gratitude. It's hard to be grateful without recognizing the specific reason that you are grateful or the specific thing that you are grateful for. Um, Grateful for my family. I can say that generally speaking, but behind the veil of generality is an infinite number of specific things that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for her kindness. I'm grateful for her strength. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for their love towards me. And no matter what you say, there's just nothing like having a little girl run at her fastest pace and throw her arms around your neck and say, I love you, Daddy. I'm grateful for that. And when I come to the cross, there's some things that I am specifically aware of that cause a remembrance of gratitude. The first one is this. That when Christ redeemed us, He redeemed us by His own self. By His own self. 
Look at our text here in verse number 24. Who his own self bear our sins. It almost appears like like filler words if we're not careful because we're so familiar with the story, unlike those disciples that were in that upper room who were still unsure about the details of how this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, was going to be placed among men and give ourselves entrance into it. They expected perhaps a great coronation of a king, a, a great ceremony, uh, uh, all, the, all the regalia, all the pomp, all the circumstance, all the ceremony. But no, it wasn't that. Instead, uh, there was a parade, but it was a parade uh, with blood-dripped feet that were walking down the Via Dolorosa, making their way to a hill called Golgotha. But who was that carrying that cross was it a carpenter from Nazareth? Oh, many of the Pharisees would answer with such words. Oh, that silly carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be God, who said that, that if we were to destroy this temple, that in three days that he would build it. And all the rumors spread about this man from Nazareth. Yeah, there was a prophet crying in the wilderness Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yes, that same man pointed to this man as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But is that who he really is? Oh, I have a remembrance of gratitude because yes, that is who he really is. And he did not send, he being God himself, did not send some replacement or some filler or some backup. He did not send an angel, nor did he call a prophet of his own, nor a woman of his own, nor a nation of his own, or a tribe of his own. He did not reach down and grab a sinful man out of humanity that had been consecrated for the purpose of dying for all of man's sins. But instead, he took the robes of glory and set them to the side and robed himself in flesh and weakness and intrepidity and all of the pain and agony of this world. And he became flesh and he came in that way his own self. The same God that spoke this world into existence cried for his mother's care. The same God who created the height of every mountain and carved out the depths of every valley put on his sandals and walked those same dusty streets. Oh, it's a member of gratitude because when I survey that wondrous cross, I realize that that is not just some man that decided out of love and compassion that he was going to attempt to cleanse the sins of mankind, but that was God himself, his own self, who came to die for our sins. And he did so willingly. He did not lay down his life, or he, his life was not taken by those Roman guards which captured him, nor the ones who were present there in the garden. It was not Pilate, nor Caiaphas, it, it was not Herod, nor anyone else who may have been in power or ha, who had influence at the time. Now, there was not some wealthy conglomerate of the Pharisees that got together and conspired to kill Jesus, for it was the Father before the foundations of the earth that appointed that this would be the way. And that's why the Bible says in John chapter 10, that no man taketh it from me. But Jesus, his own self said, that I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. 
It was his own self. If I could say this, this was actually Paul's dilemma with Christ. It was Paul's dilemma. If you remember Paul before becoming that great apostle, the New Testament was a, was a Pharisee, a man by the name of Saul, steeped in the, in the Pentateuch and well acquainted with the law. He knew that God was holy. And he also knew that everything that hung on a tree was cursed because he would have been well aware of what Deuteronomy 21-23 says. For it tells us and informed Saul, for he that is hanged is cursed of God. And one of the, no doubt, logical arguments in the mind of Paul as he would have been steeped in, in Greek philosophy and understood the arguments of logic um, in any debate, he could easily say to all those believers in Christ uh, in rebuttal against the fact that Jesus was God, Paul could have stepped up or Saul could have stepped up and say, I'll tell you one reason why Jesus could never be God. He hung on a tree. And Deuteronomy tells us that everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. Are you telling me that God cursed himself? And Paul in his pride and arrogance buttons up his coat and walks off feeling that he had attained the victory. And he walked with those feelings of victory all the way towards Damascus until he met Jesus. And he realized that everything that hung on a tree was cursed. And in his own self, he was not cursed because of his own deeds of wickedness, but he was cursed because of ours. Because in, in, in his own self, he, the Bible says, in his own self, he bore our sins, our sins in his own body on the tree. And there, what a glorious moment, the day the Apostle Paul must have realized that. Oh, how he wrote to the Galatians that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, I can imagine the tears flowing out of Paul's eyes, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And there, on that cross of Calvary, in his own body, his own self, he bore our sins. Amen. Why do we receive this communion? This do as often as you take it in remembrance of me. But it's a remembrance of gratitude. I see that it, it, was, in, it was his own self. But notice this as well. It was his own body. It was his own body. We are so acquainted with having bodies. To not have one is a little uncomfortable. What would it be like not to have a body? I don't know, but I will find out. Do you know the Bible tells us that God is a spirit? And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But here it's very clear that Jesus had, and by the way, still has a body. In fact, we will see that body. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that one day we will see Him face to face. What does that mean? That He's got a body still. Did not the disciples see Him there in that place of, of hiding as, as they were so fearful that they would be the next ones to hang on a Roman cross? And as they were gathered there in fear, who was it that stepped in with His own body? It was the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
though he's still got his body. But may I ask you this question? Have you ever considered why did he ever take on a body? I'd like for you to go with me very quickly. I'll try not to take too much time with this, but it will be hard not to. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2 answers this question. Why a body? If God is a spirit, why did Jesus ever take on flesh? And the answer to that question should give you a response. And that response should be a remembrance of gratitude. It seems like every bit of infirmity that we experience is a result of having a body. Every illness is because we have a body. Every pain is because of our body. This body is going to be 40 years old soon. I'm excited about it. But I'm a little concerned of what's going to happen to my body. As it ages, as it gets older, as my knees begin to weaken and those backpacking trips become a bit more difficult. As my eyes dim and my, my ears don't hear so well anymore, I know that it's going to come. Maybe I'll gain weight, maybe I won't, but this body will fail me. It will fail me. And every bit, of bis every bit of discomfort that I have ever had in my entire life is a result of my body. A smashed finger, it's my body. Even my emotions, it's within my body. My mind, a headache, it's within my body. Sickness and illness and death, it's all because the body gives out. So why on earth would a God who is eternal and infinite in glory, why on earth would he ever want to have a body? I'll show you why. Hebrews chapter 2, look with me, if you would please, in verse number 9. It says, but we see Jesus... We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. That's just another way of saying that he was given a body of a human form. As the writer of Philippians says that he was made in the likeness of men. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Listen to this. This is why he put on a body. Look at the very next phrase. For the suffering of death. For the suffering of death. How how is it that if the death, the physical death of God is going to be the redemption of mankind, how does that happen? It only happens if he takes on a body. And I know that might be a little bit odd to think about, but how is it that you kill God? I don't mean to say that irreverently and it makes me uncomfortable even for the words to come out of my lips, but that is exactly what happened on the cross of Calvary. They took the body of God, of deity, of eternity, of the creator, of the almighty one, of the ever existent one. And they took life, or rather, he laid down life. And how was he able to do that? It's because he received and he took on a physical form in the body. And why did he do that? For the purpose of suffering of death. Oh, he suffered death. If I could go on just a little bit further from this as we delve into the deepness of our understanding. This was not the birth in Bethlehem. was not the beginning of Jesus. For the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that it was Jesus himself who spoke all of creation into existence. I've always loved this about Isaiah 9-6. We're about to quote this a bunch after we get past Thanksgiving, but I'll go ahead and say it now. For unto us, 
a child is born. The next phrase, unto us a son is given. Why did it phrase it that way? A son is given. It's because that son, Jesus Christ, already existed somewhere else and now was given to mankind. We serve the pre-existent Christ, the eternal one. But why was it that that eternal God was given a body? It was for the suffering of death. If you look further in verse number 9, it gets more graphic. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, notice this, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I don't know what death tastes like. And anyone who does is no longer here to share the story. But I know that it was so grievous that it has caused fear in the heart of every man and woman who's ever walked this earth. When will I die? How will I die? And Jesus Christ came and took on a body, His own body, that He might taste death and that he might taste the full measure of it. Do you realize that the believer will never taste the full measure of death? Never. Never. There is a part of you that will never taste the effects of death caused by your sin. Yes, the effect of sin on your body will cause it to give out, but your, your life has been saved eternal. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should never perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there'll be a measure of death that you and I have received Christ will never taste because Jesus has already tasted it for us. He has tasted the penalty of our sin and the penalty of our death. He has tasted the full measure of it and he put the cup to his lips there on the cross of Calvary and there is not one drop of sin's punishment that still remains in that cup for he declared that it is finished. It is complete. It is done. I've tasted death for every man and how is he able to do that? He was able to do that in his own body. In his own body. As I go back to 1 Peter chapter number 2, I notice one other phrase, and this is where we'll close this evening. A remembrance of gratitude. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. It's a remembrance of gratitude. Because of his own self. Because of his own body. But also because of his own stripes. What are those stripes? That he's referring to. And how is it that the Bible can attribute them to him? By 
whose stripes, meaning that he was the one that possessed those stripes, those wounds, those marks of scourgings, uh, those beatings, that, uh, that, that pain, that agony that was caused there in that um, crucifixion process, by whose stripes you were healed. I will tell you that in this list of his self, his body and his stripes, his stripes are the only one that he didn't earn for himself. But they were given to him, rather they were received by him. They were only his own because he is the one that chose them for himself. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter number 53 says it this way, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes ye were, we are healed. And as I imagine that, that the grotesqueness of that crucifixion as the blood begins to pump and pour and ooze from every wound on our Savior's body, Body, from the top of his head with the crown of thorns to the bottom of his feet as the nails did not just go in but exited the back of those feet. That Savior as the wounds poured forth with blood. I lift the cup and I remember that this blood is the new covenant. It is the new promise, if you will. That the work of salvation is now done. And as we take that cup and remember that blood, and as we lift that bread and remember that body, may it be a remembrance of gratitude for all that He has done that we are unworthy of. For it was not our righteousness, it was not our merits, it was not our goodness, it was not our uniqueness, it was not our good looks or our academic achievements. It was the grace of God. It's God's grace. And I don't know what it is that you need to do to prepare your heart to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But let us be grateful that our salvation was purchased by His own stripes, by His own body, by his own self. And God help us if we give gratitude to anything else or anyone else above the gratitude and the thanksgiving that we have for Christ. Christ.